Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 through 4. I'd like to read in your hearing before we get started this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, there's these four verses. The first four verses of Romans chapter 8. And I'll grant you right off, they are not the easiest four verses in the world to understand. And that's why we're taking the time that we're taking to deal with them. Now, we've already had two messages just on the first verse. What I want to do is move this morning into the second verse. But let's quickly come up to speed. Because we have certain terminology and certain expressions that are used here that I really believe is very important that we clarify. So, we're going to come up to speed. Last week we noted that there are indeed these expressions that aren't familiar to our everyday 21st century English language. So it does us no good if we just plow through all this and we're not really understanding what's meant by the words that are used here. So, you guys remember what no condemnation means? Listen. If one thought above all every thoughts ought to come to your mind when you think no condemnation, it ought to be this. No death. That really ought to be it. Because the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall what? So when Paul talks about no condemnation, he basically means no death. Now listen. Listen to me. No death does not mean no physical death. Now, do you understand that? No death means no second death, as it's called in Revelation 2.11 and Revelation 20 and 22. The second death. We all die physically, Even those of us that are in this room that are not under condemnation will die physically. So it doesn't mean that. The first death is the physical death. And as the Bible says, we're all appointed to that, right? That's true. No condemnation does not spare us from that. No condemnation means that on judgment day, there will be no death then. That's the idea. That is when the second death takes place. And folks, death does not mean that you cease to exist. Because the second death 
is being thrown into the lake of fire. That's what it says. Revelation makes that very plain. No condemnation means no death. No death means no second death. No second death means God will not, never, ever plunge you into the lake of fire. And if condemnation hangs over your head, folks, that's what you're headed for. That's what death is all about. Folks, when you go to the New Testament, you begin thinking about death. Don't just think about, you know, cemeteries and funeral homes. Listen to this. Jesus Christ said, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Is Jesus saying if you keep his word that you will never die a physical death? No. Every Christian you know who keeps his word dies a physical death. Do they not? No death there is the same meaning behind the no condemnation from 8.1. It means no second death. That means no hell, no lake of fire, folks. That's the idea. And then secondly, last week, we looked at the concept. Now listen, every time you guys hear no condemnation, you ought to think that. Ah, that means no death, no second death, no lake of fire, no eternal punishment. And then we talked about in Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches us that being in Christ means this. God counts you as one with Christ. Legally, God views both Christ and you as one entity. So if I'm in Christ, what's His? Is mine. God counts all that is His, Christ, as belonging to me. This is the very heart of what Christianity is. Amen. That's it, folks. You're in Christ. You've got everything. When Christ died, you died in Him if you're in Him. When Christ was buried, you were buried. When Christ rose, you rose. When Christ ascended, you ascended if you're in Him. You are one with Him if you are in Him. So each one of you should have these two expressions down. You think of no condemnation, you know what to think of. You think of being in Christ Jesus, you know what to think of. Well, that takes us through the first verse. Now, we come to the second. But I'll tell you something, how important those two concepts are. There is quickly coming a day when they will matter to you more than anything else matters to you. To be in Christ Jesus and to have no condemnation, how sweet it will be, folks, in that last day if that is true of you. And what a terror it will be if that is not true of you. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life... You guys look in your Bibles. Read this with me. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life... For, this is giving us a reason. This, it, the NIV, if you have that, says because. What we're being given here is a reason why there is no condemnation if you're in Jesus Christ. For, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If you're in Christ, one law 
sets you free from another law. That's very interesting. But again, we have two concepts in this verse that are just not familiar. We need to unpack these things. We need to give a little bit of definition to them. The first is this. I'm sure you see it there. What in the world does the law of the Spirit of life refer to? And then after that, now we've already looked at in Christ Jesus, so you ought to know already what that means, right? But then right after that, you have this. The law of sin and death. And what makes both these expressions all the more interesting and maybe all the more challenging to us is the use of the word law. That's what might have a tendency to confuse us, if anything does. Think, just, hey folks, think about how this text would read if we took law out. Laws used two times here. If we just took it right out of this verse, think about how this would read. It would sound something like this. For the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from sin and death. If Paul had said it that way, the verse might not take so much effort to figure it out. But, Paul didn't leave the word law out. And if he didn't, what's one thing we can be certain of? Well, there's a reason why he used it. There's a reason he didn't leave it out. He put the word law in here twice because it communicates something to us about Jesus Christ, something about Christ's salvation, something about Christ's spirit that wouldn't have been communicated to us otherwise. Think that's safe to say? I mean, the the writers of Scripture didn't waste words. This is inspired language. You know, these are God's words. And God does not give us words just to fill up the white space on the pages of our Scriptures. So, what do we make of this? What do we make of this word law? Let's do a little bit of a word study on it. Typically, when you hear law, what do you think? commandments. I mean, when we talk law, we think the law of God. And by that, we might mean the Ten Commandments. By that, we might mean the Mosaic Law. Right? By that, sometimes we might mean the first five books of the Old Testament. When we talk law, we talk, you know, ceremonial law. Or Speed limit law. Any of you ever think about that one? Speed limit law. Any time you don't think about that one? And obviously, as you guys have already said, the meaning behind that use of law has to do with commandments. It has to do with requirements or demands that are imposed upon your life by who? By a lawgiver, right? Whether that be God or government, that's one way we think about law. But, you know, there is another way that the term law is used that is actually quite common, although sometimes we don't think so much about it that way. 
Have you ever heard anybody talk about the law of supply and demand? Now, now, when it's used that way, does it mean there is a commandment that governs the way supply and demand work? It means there are certain principles in operation that govern how supply and demand work in an economy, right? Have you ever heard of those second law of thermodynamics? Or we had Newton's law up here a while ago. Well, you know, there was another Newton besides John. And he has, he has a lot of laws. Newton's law of motion. Or the law of gravity. Now, how am I using the term law there? When I talk this way, the law of motion, the law of gravity, the law of supply and demand, do I mean commandments? No. No, I don't. When I use it that way, what, I, what I'm doing is I'm making a statement that describes recurring facts or events or principles. By law, in that sense, we mean there is a certain way something works. It's that, it's that simple. There is a conventional, accepted, observable fashion or manner in which something behaves. We mean that there are forces at work that make things happen in a fixed, particular manner every time. So a law in this sense is repeatable, it's demonstrable, it's predictable behavior that governs the way something acts or reacts. Does that all make sense to you guys? Now listen, it needs to make sense to us because you're going to find that it very much applies to what we're looking at in the Scriptures today. Let me give you an example of this. In physics and engineering, we talk about the law of gravity. This obviously has nothing to do with commandments. The law of gravity means that gravitational forces behave in a certain way. There are laws that say bodies that have mass attract each other. The earth has big mass. You have little mass. And have you ever wondered why? If you fall, you go down. Have you ever wondered what it is that actually pulls you down and doesn't pull you up? Well, it's got to do with an attractive force that the earth exerts on you. And listen, the law of gravity says this. If I drop my Bible, it is going to accelerate at 32 feet per second squared right towards the earth. And you know what happens if we all pack up and we go home and we come back here next week and I come up here and I stand here again and I drop the Bible, what's going to happen? Very same law, right? Very same acceleration, 32 feet per second squared. And it's not going to go that way up. It's going to go that way right towards the earth. It's repeatable. It's demonstrable. It's observable. That's what we mean about a law. Fixed law. It governs the way gravity works. So law in this context has another meaning than we're accustomed to. In this sense, it means rules governing the way something works. Now the question is this. Is the word law 
used this way in the Bible. We know it's used to identify commandments, but is it used this second way to describe a fixed way in which something works? And the answer is yes, it absolutely is. And you don't have to look very far to find examples. Look at Romans 7.21. You're right there. Let's read this together. Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Now, is Paul saying here that he finds it to be a commandment that when he wants to do right, evil lies close at hand? No, that's not what he means by law. He isn't saying that. God hasn't given any legal commandment for evil to lie close at hand every time Paul tries to do good. That, that obviously is not what he's saying. What Paul is saying is this. There is a force at work in my life. And that force exerts itself in such a way that it makes me behave in a particular manner every single time. With the law of gravity, gravitational forces act the same every time. They pull objects downward to the earth. With the law that's at work in Paul, there's a force acting the same every time. And it pulls him towards evil. You see, that's what it's saying. There's this repeatable, observable law that is active in the life of this man, as he presents himself to us in Romans 7. Now, you guys, stop right here and just, you have to realize this. If we're ever, ever going to properly understand Romans 7 and Romans 8, we must grasp the use of the word law in this sense because it's used over and over throughout this portion of Romans in this very manner. In fact, we can see Paul describing three specific, distinct laws. Not commandments, but natural laws that designate how things work in this section of Scripture. And I want you to see them. Notice verse 23. 7.23. You, you obviously see the term law used a number of times in there. But there is one very distinct law described that I want you to grasp. It is called the law of my mind. Do you see it there? Paul calls it the law of of my mind. If the law of gravity expresses certain realities, fixed realities about the way gravity works, then what could be said about the law of the mind? It's expressing certain fixed realities about the way the mind works. And when I talk about the mind, I mean that part of us that thinks, where the reasoning faculty is. And how does it work? What fixed laws govern what happens in our thinking and reasoning processes? And I'll just sum it up very simply. You know what we do with our minds? We're thinking all the time. And I'll tell you what consumes our thinking. We think about what we desire. Folks, that's a reality. 
You think about what you desire and you constantly think about ways to obtain what you desire. I'll guarantee that's true of us. You go out there on the streets. You know what the crack addict is thinking about? Crack. And he's thinking about how I get it. I mean, that's, folks, God designed us that way. That's how our mind works. The mind, I mean, are you guys constantly thinking about thoughts about, you know, figuring out how to do the things that will make you miserable and how to do the things that will bring you pain and cause you to suffer? You don't. Your thoughts are always on how can I get to certain ends that I desire to achieve in my life. You're, it, it's, it's a law of the mind. We can just sum it up that way. Fixed reality. We use our minds to think about what we desire. We use our minds to think about how we're going to carry out our desires. You do this, I do this, and Paul did this. This is exactly what you see going on with Paul through these verses. Look at how he uses his mind. Over and over again in Romans 7, Paul's mind is bent on what? I mean, from, from Romans seven fourteen through the end of 25, what is his mind bent on? Keeping the law. He said, I want to do it. I desire to do it. I delight to do it. That's what I'm obsessed with. I want to do the law. He is fig trying to figure out how to apply his strength of his will to do that law. The law of his mind is saying, you know what? The law is good. With his mind, he examines the law. With his mind, he says the law is good. With his mind, he says, I want to keep that law. With his mind, he says, I'm going to exert myself. I'm going to give my willpower and my strength to keeping that law. Folks, that's it. That's the will of the mind. He uses his mind to think about the commandments. And, and you know, it even says, I serve the law of God with my mind. I mean, that's what he's doing with his mind. He's seeking to serve it. That's what he wants to do. He is serving it. He is seeking to think of ways he can give himself to this law of God. That's how his mind works. Ours works that way. His works that way. Your obsession may be something else. His was the law of God. That's the law of the mind. Now, let's go on. Second one. That brings us to the second of the three laws, which, by the way, brings us back to Romans chapter 8, verse 2. If you didn't think we were ever going to get there, we're, we're there now. This law is what Paul calls, and it's the last one referred to in 8.2, the law of of sin and death. Now again, if the law of gravity expresses certain fixed realities about the way gravity works, the law of sin and death is going to do what? Express certain fixed realities about the way law or about the way uh, sin and death work. Right? Exactly. So What I want you guys to think about here is the, this reality. This law of sin and death does not show up the first time in Romans 8.2. In fact, if you backtrack a little bit, go back to 7.23. Paul actually introduces it before that, but I want you to see what he says in 7.23. He, he, he 
refers to it in 725. Do you see it there? Look at your Bibles. Look at 723. Look at 725. Do you see this law referred to there? Now, it's not in the fullest sense of the expression as we get it in 8.2. It's an abbreviated way. And that's not uncommon. We talk, you know, we can talk about the law of motion or we can talk about, you know, Newton's law of motion or we can just call it a law sometimes, which is what, it's the same thing Paul's doing here. I mean, we don't have to get all hung up over the fact that he adds death to it in 8.2 and he didn't in 7.23 and 7.25. This is a shorter version. I mean, folks, death goes with sin. So, I mean, you can tack it on there and he doesn't change it a whole lot. They operate. This is one and the same law. And what I want you to see about it is at the end of 7.23, he says, the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now, you guys realize this makes absolutely no sense if we're talking about commandments. He's not saying there's some commandment dwelling in my members or in my flesh. He's saying there is a force that is operative here. And there is a fixed way in which this thing works. Folks, there is a certain way sin works and death works. There is an observable fashion or manner in which sin behaves. And it's in his members. He sees it there. It's predictable, it's repeatable, so much so that he calls it a law. What is this law of sin? Now folks, the apostle has been developing this for us for chapters now. He's been telling us exactly how sin operates. How does it operate? Well, you remember back in Romans 6 how Paul personified it? We actually looked at sin as a dark Lord. Why? Because Paul actually talks about sin in a certain respect, not just as an act, but as a power, as a force, as something that is almost living and breathing, something that is threatening and aggressive and powerful and dangerous and sinister. Remember how God views sin back in the book of Genesis when He's talking to Cain? He says, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you and you must rule over it. God describes sin there as a thing that can crouch and wait and lurk and desire to have a man. So when Paul talks about the law of sin, I want you to understand we are not simply talking about how individual acts of sin take place. We are talking about sin as a force. Just like the law of gravity explains the way the force of gravity works, so the law of sin explains the way the force of sin works. Paul has been explaining this for some time. Romans 6.12. That gave us an indicator. You know what he says? He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Why? Because it's seeking to reign in your mortal bodies. That is the law of sin. It seeks to reign in your mortal bodies. And how does it seek to do it? By stirring up sinful passions in you. We looked at that back in Romans 6. How else? All you got to do is move down through Romans 6 a little bit to verse 19. We hear there, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. You know what sin does? 
You know how it operates? Every time. Sin will seek in your life to drive you to greater and greater and greater degrees of depravity. It is a constant force to pull you down. The wickedness you do today, if you're in this place and lost, is not the wickedness you did a year ago. You know you've gotten worse. Why? Because there is a law of sin operative in you that is seeking to reign in your members and pulling you down to more and more and more and more lawlessness. Romans 7, 8. Sin seizes opportunities through the commandment to produce in Paul all sorts of sins and unrighteousness. That's Romans 7, 8. What else can we say about the law of sin? It acts this way. The law of God does not deliver you from it. What the law of sin does is it shows us that sin as a force actually takes the law of God in its grips and arouses more sin in you. That's what it does. Don't you run off to the law of God for your Savior, folks, because the law of sin only takes it. That's what Paul found. Here, he looks at, the, he looks at covetousness and he said, sin sees an opportunity through that law, through that commandment, and just stirred up in him all, more, all the more covetousness. That's how the law of sin works. How else? 721. Look at that. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Are you guys beginning to comprehend what the law of sin here is? I mean, you have this force of sin, just like the law of gravity, shows us how the gravitational forces work according to the same principles all the time. So the law of sin is showing us that sin as a force works by the same principles all the time. All the time. Sin seeks to reign in your mortal body. Sin seeks to arouse sinful passions in you. Sin seeks to use the law against you. Sin seeks to pull you down into further and further and greater and greater demonstrations. And even if you have a desire to do right, even if you have a desire to keep some code of commandments or rules or regulations, it just draws you into evil. That's how it works. All the time. And it's not just a law of sin, but sin and death. Why? Because the end of sin is always Death. That's a law, folks. They go hand in hand. They go together. And Paul's been preaching that to us all along here too. Romans 6.16, sin, which leads to death. Romans 6.23, rather, wages of sin is death. Romans 7.11, sin, seizing opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Romans 7.13, it was sin producing death in me through what is good. Do you see what's happening? Just like gravitational force pulls you down all the time, this law of sin expresses the reality that there is a force that pulls you down all the time. It drags you down. It, it, it is there operating to bring your body against you, your passions against you, the law of God against you, even, even your, your greatest and best desires against you. That's the law of sin and death. But last, certainly not least, we have the law of the Spirit of life. 
There's a way gravity works. There's a way the mind works. There's a way sin works. And there is a way the Spirit of God works. And you can see the two main aspects or features of this law right there in 8.2. Look at it. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. It is a fixed reality, folks, that the Spirit of God brings two things into your life if you're in Christ Jesus. What's the first one? Life. It's the Spirit of life. And what does He do? It gives you freedom. These are the two realities we find all through the New Testament concerning the, the Spirit. Do we not? Now think about it. Romans 7, 6. New life in the Spirit. John 6, 63. The Spirit who gives life. Romans 8, 10. The Spirit is life. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Galatians 6, 8. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You have freedom and you have life. That's a law, folks. If you're in Jesus Christ, if by God's grace He's reached out and plucked you out of that mire of sin, these are the two realities. The Spirit of God operates by a given law. There is a supernatural law that where the Spirit of God indwells, He brings life and He brings liberty. That's a reality. I want to create an analogy for you. Let's say you take a man. It's just any guy. And he's here in this world somewhere. And what happens is he learns about a place. It's beyond our solar system. So it's way out there. But he learns about this place and it sounds to him like the most incredible, unbelievable place. It's, it's, it's a place that is so beautiful to him. And guess what? He wants to be there. He wants to get there. He desires to be there. He delights at the thought of being there. So with his mind, he serves this one thing to get there. He uses the strength of His will. He uses all His willpower to get there. Let's call this the law of the mind. The law of His mind. Okay? It's a fixed reality. This guy wants to get to this place and he's using all his strength to make that happen. So guess what he does? He knows it's up there. It's out there. So he crouches down and he jumps as high as he can. I mean, he's trying to pull off the law of his mind. He's trying to use his strength to accomplish what he desires. And he just jumps. And he tries to get to that place. Now remember, it's beyond our solar system. But he jumps with all his might. But you see, he's got a problem. Does he not? There's another law. Another law that keeps him from pulling this off. It's called the law of gravity. You see, no matter how high this man 
looks up, no matter how lofty his objective, he has a law of gravity pulling him down always. The law of gravity never relents. It just keeps pulling him back to the earth. And if this man all of a sudden gets this idea, well, you know what I want to do? I I need to get closer to it. That's the deal. I'm going to climb up this mountain. I'm going to go to the edge of this cliff. And I am just going to jump as high as I can off this cliff. Well, you know what just happened? This became the law of gravity and death. Did it not? I mean, this guy's going to fall all the way down. Why? Because gravity's going to pull him down every time. It's going to pull him down all the way down to his death. Instead of making it to this place he desires to go, he will end up dead. There is a law of gravity constantly waging war against the law of his mind. It defeats him every time. Every time. So that instead of doing what he wants to do, he is instead constantly doing what he doesn't want to do. He wants to leave this earth, go to that place, but he's constantly getting pulled back down by the force of gravity. What this man needs is not more willpower, not more information about the place he wants to go. He doesn't need a different pair of shoes or a different hairstyle. What this guy needs is something, or better yet, some person, to pull him right out of this earth's realm altogether and thereby set him free from the law of gravity. That's what he needs. You see where I'm going with this? You know what, folks? Men think by nature that they are good Men will seek to be moral. Now, I realize there are some that, that, I mean, they just, you see them and all the time they're crawling in the lowest hole. I realize that. But even that guy, he's got a certain sense of morality. Because if you talk to him, he knows somebody worse. He always knows somebody worse. In fact, the more you talk to him, the more you find out he thinks he's a pretty good guy. Ask him, oh yeah, he's pretty certain he's on his way to heaven. Oh, he's done some bad things in his life. But after all, you know, he's got a good heart in the end of this whole deal. Folks, we got people all around us that are trying to act religious. They're trying to act moral. They're trying to act ethical. We have people who set up these little standards of morality and they seek to find them, live up to them. It was no different with Paul. Paul's might have been a more choice structure. I mean, yeah, he looked at the law of God and said, I want to keep that. But see, folks, it was a futile struggle. Because no matter how you read Romans 7, you can never come up with anything other than the conclusion Paul never accomplished what he wanted to. Read it, folks. It says, the good that I would, the good that I want, I don't do. The evil I don't do is what I keep on doing. That's what he says all the way through this. You see, here's Paul. 
saying he's jumping as high as he can. He's trying to reach this standard. But there's a law that wages war against the law of his mind. In his mind, he says, the law is good and I want to keep it and I'm going to strive to it and I'm going to bend my will to doing it. And he keeps jumping and jumping. But the place he needs to get to, he can't get to. Because there's a law. There's another law. And he sees it working in his members. And it's constantly pulling him down. Pulling him back. What he needs is to somebody to come storming in on that battlefield with a law superior to that law of sin and death. And set him free. And Jesus Christ gave us just such a thing. The law of the Spirit of life. And you know what? Every single time in your life, that you set the law of your mind against the law of sin, law of sin will win. But when you set the law of the Spirit against the law of sin, the Spirit wins every time, folks. Beloved, you see why Paul used the term law here? Because he's describing realms He's describing the realm where the law of sin is master. And he's describing this realm where the Spirit of God is master. And what we need, folks, is realm transfer. You need to be taken out of there and put in here. So that that law is so eradicated in your life. Folks, Remember what he says. Sin will have no dominion over you. Romans 6.14 If you are in Christ, sin will not have dominion. Everything about the man in Romans 7 is dominion of sin. The law of sin is reigning. And he says, folks, If the law of sin reigns, it's a law. Death comes every time. You see why he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? He's wretched. He's miserable. Why? Because all he can do is jump about this high and he can never get higher. Because every time he jumps, gravity pulls him right back down again. Every time he sets his mind, you know, you go through these things and you see, I want... To do what's right. There's a law of the mind. But every time I do the wickedness, the evil that I don't want to do, there's the law of sin. I desire to do it. There's a law of the mind. But I just see every time I tried evil's there, Cole said, hey, it's a law with me. There's a law of sin. Folks, in verse 23 of Romans 7, he says, I'm captive to this thing. In 8.2, it says, the law of the Spirit of life frees us. If you are in Christ Jesus. I say this to you. Some of you, look, I can remember as a little kid, I said, Mom, how do you get to heaven? She said, you know, good Catholic answer. You keep the commandments. So I went and looked at the commandments. I didn't look at those commandments and say, oh, what disgusting, foul commandments. I looked at those and I said, ah, I, I better try harder. And you know what? 
This is what Paul was constantly saying. I, 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 I'm trying, I got to try harder. I got to pit myself. But every time I do, all I see is that this law that I long to keep, sin rushes in ahead of me, takes the law, and just stirs up more sin in me. Over and over. I mean, every time, evil's right there close at hand, rushes right in. But you come to eight, This is why there is no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. Because you have been transferred right out of the realm of sin and death into the realm of the Spirit of life. And you know what? That happens, folks, by faith. By looking to the ever-living Son of God who did lay down His life for sinners. Folks, no condemnation. There's only one way to it. There's only one way to access into this ruling, fixed reality of the Spirit of life. There's only one way, folks. That is through the living Christ. Now I hope, I know, oh, this, these last couple of weeks have been aggravating to me. Because I love to just be able to break loose and run with the text. And, and having to go in and do word studies and do all this close examination. I mean, I, want, I love to have it when we can all look at it and immediately just say, Hey, we all know what that means. But you, you know, you get into this stuff and we need to go here. Because this is so pivotal and this is so central to our Christianity. And if we're going to ever understand Romans 7 and Romans 8 properly, we've got to understand these terms. And so I hope you guys will realize from now on, as you read through the Word of God, you must be discerning. And you have to judge. You have to make spiritual judgments about how this word law is used. Does God mean here commandments or does He mean some fixed reality about the way something behaves? Please, take these. You guys now are becoming more and more equipped here. You know what no condemnation means. You know what in Christ Jesus means. You know now what the law of the Spirit of life is and what the law of sin and death is. Because now we launch off in the future in verses 3 and 4 and 8 begins to open up to us. Father, I pray that you would help us and profit us, teach us. Lord, I feel oh, so often confronted by Your Word. I just feel like such a child and so, so Lord, that I just have such little understanding. I, I pray, Lord, that by the same Spirit, may You open up, Lord, free the dullness. Free us from that dullness. Free us from, from our inability to understand and comprehend, Lord. May you give us spiritual discernment. I pray it in Christ's name.